Hi, everyone. We're conducting an audience survey, and we'd be really grateful if you could take just a few minutes and answer a few questions. Please visit survey.prx.org happiness to take the survey today. That's survey.prx.org happiness. Thank you. The Science of Happiness is brought to you by Progressive, one of the country's leading providers of auto insurance. With Progressive's Name Your Price tool, you say what kind of coverage you're looking for and how much you want to pay, and Progressive will help you find options that fit within your budget. Use the Name Your Price tool and start an online quote today at Progressive.com. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I was with my boyfriend, and we found this little bench off of the main path, and it felt like just a great place to enjoy the silence with the flowers around. But actually, we were listening, and it was actually like, we call it our anthropod orchestra, but suddenly our ears just, everything turned to the crickets chirping, and even the leaves rustling in the gentle breeze, noticing the flowers, and plants nearby and even a few cars honking in the distance and suddenly realizing like how awake my ears were even within what I thought was silence and that sort of awakening in an unexpected moment and it was just a moment it was magical and it felt like one of those that sticks in my mind and my being because of how unexpectedly alive things are even in that silence. She made her musical debut at age 16 with the National Symphony Orchestra, and today Yumi Kendall is a world-renowned and award-winning cellist with the Philadelphia Orchestra. On top of that, Yumi also has a master's degree in positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, where she really took on the kinds of questions we care about on our show, like what gives people a sense of meaning? How do we connect to something larger than ourselves? As our guest today, Yumi tried a practice designed to build those feelings of connection, and she's here to tell us how it went. Yumi, thanks so much for joining us on The Science of Happiness. Thank you for having me. You know, I had the privilege of getting to see you right in the thick of it, perform in front of 2,000 people, <laughs> and you performed Stravinsky and Ravel. And, you know, I, when I think back to I had one musical performance in my life. I played the clarinet, and in seventh grade, I was on this stage and we were going to play Winter Wonderland or something for the parents. <laughs> and the first note I hit was off, and I laughed through the entire performance. So I can't imagine what it's like to hold a cello next to your heart and to play the sounds and have 2,000 people affected. I mean, what is it like to be in that context? I mean, it's both personally like literally vibrating, but it's also resonant with, you know, the 100 or so colleagues I have on stage with the Philadelphia Orchestra. Yeah. And so all of those feelings that I'm experiencing are magnified by the people and the musicians around me sharing this experience, this collective experience. And then even more so sort of radiating that out into the concert hall. So I think the music... I mean, it definitely resonates from the individual, from within, but then sharing that experience just becomes, it just magnifies hmm. that resonance, literally. <laughs> you got a lot going on in your life. You're this <laughs> world-class cellist. And then on top of it, you decided to get a master's degree in positive psychology where you covered a lot of this stuff that we talk about on the science of happiness, gratitude, mm -hmm. contentment, grit, et cetera. 
What was the relationship between what you were learning about the science of happiness and then being a cellist? What struck you about the convergences? I think one of the most important things for me is the ways to connect. Inside, internally, I almost choose a person in the audience who may be a familiar face mm. or who may just have caught my eye in some special way that day, and they receive my perform, They receive that my energy and my focus. And that also deepens the performance experience for me because it's also special to be sending that energy, that performance energy out to the 2,000 people in the concert hall or wherever we might be playing. But it's also so much deeper to think about that one person who's receiving that music and it becomes so much more focused. So that for me is one of the most powerful experiences on stage and there's also the the aspect of time and connecting to the composer mm. and the person who wrote the piece wow. to the musician as messenger to the audience member. Wow, amazing. It's very fitting that you would choose the all narrative practice from the Greater Good in Action website. And, it, and we'll talk about the practice itself, which is sort of writing about experiences of awe and reflecting on what it means. But I have to ask you, you know, we know from the science of awe that one of the really striking properties of the emotion is that we find it in so many different places, right? In nature, in being inspired by ordinary acts of courage and life and death and music worldwide. What's your experience of awe been like in your life of music? What are some of the striking moments or things that jump out at you? I think about awe in music in, gosh, so many ways. I think there's spontaneous realizations, like in the concert on Saturday, we were playing the Adams, Scheherazade Point Two, and there were these expansive, mm. expansive soaring piano, like very soft moments with non-traditional harmony. And it felt like I was soaring. Wow. And then there are other times when I'm drawn to the physicality, like looking across the stage and seeing all the violins in unison doing really strong, powerful down bows together. There's like a almost militaristic unity that was forceful. in that. Yeah. Very, very forceful. Yeah. So the sense of awe can come from on stage, from the actual sounds, but also those sources of awe can come from the feeling of that sense of space. Yeah and time expanding. You know, it's so interesting that what you're describing in your experience of playing music is really echoed in some of the major findings from the study of awe, which is awe involves a sense of vastness and that you feel connected to something larger than yourself, which that part of the experience really reduces stress and increases well-being. Let's turn now to the awe practice that you chose to do. Can you walk us through the steps? Sure. This practice takes about 15 minutes or more, if you wish. Think back to a time when you felt a sense of awe for something you saw or experienced. Awe being something that makes you see the world differently, may overwhelm you. Like when you go hiking and then you get to the top of the mountain and there's this both sense of accomplishment and humility. And then try to think about a most recent time when you've experienced or witnessed that feeling of awe, and then write about that experience in as much detail as you can. So that's what I did, (laughs) (laughs) a version of that. What did you write about? In our final concert at the Saratoga Performing Arts Center, it was August 17th Mm. of 2019. I actually, before I play a piece, I do think about the last time I played it, and it's not even conscious, it's just it like 
it just happens. And when I was performing this piece, it was Mozart's Requiem. Mm. And we'd played it last in the spring of 2019 with a guest conductor. But the time that really hit me was January 2011 and the week my grandfather died. I remember at that time thinking, gosh, should I take the week off from work to honor him or help the family? And I actually decided I'm going to play that because it's the Mozart Requiem. Requiem is a mass for the dead. Mm. And I'm not religious, but that's still a spiritual experience. And so I chose to honor grandfather that way. And then Yannick Nazesegan is our fabulous music director. And he was conducting that performance in January of 2011. And he was also conducting this August 17th performance. And it felt really powerful to Mm. be playing that because actually in the the movement Confrutatis, it's one of the middle movements, and it starts with this these angry, angry, accented fortissimo notes, all the string players in unison, angry. The basses, the baritones, and the chorus are singing, and it's very deep, it's very powerful. And I actually started to feel like tears brewing, and I wasn't sure why, but then it suddenly changes like 20 seconds in to this angelic, like bright white light, like the heavens opened. And a super peaceful soprano singing, angels, angel voices kind of feeling. Mm. And I got goosebumps. I felt like grandfather was listening. And I only realized after the fact that I was like crying and it was a performance. And I was like suddenly (laughs) self-conscious. And then I went through the mind thing of like, no, no, this is a safe place. It's fine. I'm just deeply feeling what we're playing. And all of the crying that I never did when grandfather actually died happened on stage on August 17th. Like, the faucets were on. (laughs) (laughs) And then the concert ended with Ave Verum, with this beautiful, peaceful choral piece. And it's transcendent. I got texts from several of my colleagues saying, like, oh, I noticed you were crying in the concert. I hope you're okay. But another one said, actually seeing your emotional connection with the music helped me connect with it too mm. which I found heartwarming and reassuring because that's I've, I don't usually cry on stage but that connection I think to my grandfather really sort of turned the emotional faucets on and that bright white light really just helped make me feel like oh Grammy and grandfather are listening that's amazing thank you what you're describing is being in the presence of something transcendent which is really what awe is all about What did it feel like not just to remember that experience, but also to write about it? Ah, writing about it made me... I was revisited with those emotions from that concert. And Mm. actually, I, in a lesser way, like a less extreme, dramatic way, I felt those emotions again. It really helped me solidify that moment in time and that thinking about grandfather and that experience of the concert, it just helped heighten those memories and also reconnected me to all of them and to grandfather. So then in the awe narrative practice, you're supposed to think about your most recent experience of awe and then write about it. And you wrote about the anthropoid orchestra, as you called it, when you and your boyfriend were sitting on a park bench listening to crickets chirping at dusk. Yes. What was it like for you to write about that? So writing about it sort of 
is a savoring experience itself. And it also was like an exercise because it helped me realize how open to other moments of awe I can be. And it was like a, I guess that's why we call it a practice, right? <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> but yeah, those kinds of activities really help open up myself to other awesome experiences. The science has this really interesting lesson about these experiences of awe, even, you know, from watching a musical performance on YouTube or watching an incredible piece of art or nature show. And it, it tends to last for a little while, gives you a sense of time. You have more perspective. The nagging voice of the ego, which is always criticizing ourselves, seems to be quieter. What's it like for you when you come out of these experiences of awe? Does it weave into ordinary sense of the world or consciousness? I think for me, those experiences of awe from the small everyday anthropod orchestra in Longwood Gardens to the more dramatic orchestral experiences of awe, I feel like when from the small to the large, I feel more serene and calm. And actually after that, that Mozart Requiem, I felt like I was kind of glowing. <laughs> I probably literally was because of like tears, but I felt more calm and peaceful mixed with sadness because of that particular experience. But there's kind of a serenity that comes. And I felt that through the rest of that, definitely the rest of that evening, in more everyday experiences, I think it it's like a pause. Yeah. It helps me, even if I'm not experiencing awe yeah. in every single moment, it's just that pause button. It's that meditative, ah. <gasps> oh. <laughs> you nailed the voice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we studied that and that was pretty good. So. Well, it's fascinating to think of it as a pause button because part of awe is like how I look at the world right now in this moment. There are other ways to look at the world and the pause button allows another lens to look at the yeah, present. Yeah, so. yeah. And I think that's the, the, for me, the biggest, one of the biggest takeaways was that, that pause button. And it's the littlest things. It yeah. doesn't have to be these big dramatic yeah. moments. Well put. Well, Yumi, thank you so much for joining us on The Science of Happiness. Thank you for having me. The science of awe is still really young, but already scientists are documenting how awe transforms our minds and our bodies. What we wanted to do was see whether we could get the experience of awe to expand people's perception of time and make them feel that time was more rich and plentiful. More on the science of awe, up next. Hiring the right team for your business can be a long and arduous process. With Indeed, there are no long-term contracts, you can pause your account at any time, and you only pay for what you need. Indeed.com is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates with Indeed Instant Match. Indeed searches through the millions of resumes in their database to help show you great candidates instantly. Want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com happiness. This is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com happiness. Indeed.com slash happiness. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. We know from science that giving to others, especially those in need, can make us happier as a community. Unbound is an international nonprofit that partners with families living in extreme poverty, empowering them to become self-sufficient and fulfill their desired potential. 
When you sponsor a child, young adult, or elder through Unbound, you invest in personalized benefits that support goals chosen by the sponsored individual and their family. Unbound sends more than $100 million each year to support families in under-resourced countries. You can make a real and direct impact, offering hope in the life of someone when they need it most. Partner with a new friend today at unbound.org slash happiness. When Yumi Kendall talked about her experience of awe, she focused on how time seems to stand still. It's just that pause button. It's that meditative... Research shows that feeling awe actually can change your perception of time, making you feel like you have more of it. Melanie Rudd, an associate professor of marketing at the University of Houston, found that people who were induced to feel awe later felt less pressed for time and were more patient. She then sought to understand what this expanded sense of time does for people. In particular, we were very interested in looking at the downstream consequence of people's willingness to volunteer time. Because there's kind of an inherent connection between how plentiful time feels, we thought, and how likely people are to volunteer their time. In the experiment, she had half the people write about an awe-inspiring moment in their lives, just like Yumi Kendall did with the awe narrative practice. They wrote about a past personal experience in which they had felt awe in vivid detail. The other half were instructed to write about a time they felt contentment or joy. So they wrote about a time when they had felt happy. Then Melanie and her team measured people's willingness to volunteer their time or donate money to a worthy cause or charity. What we found is that people in the awe condition reported that they were more willing to volunteer their time to help others. So we saw that significant difference between the awe and happiness condition. But they didn't see any difference in people's willingness to donate money. That's probably because money isn't as directly related in our minds to our sense of time as something like volunteering at a local shelter. So it's not just that awe is boosting everything or enhancing everything or necessarily making you more pro-social across the board, but it's specific to time. When you are very present-oriented, you experience this expanded perception of time. You really start to notice all the little changes in the environment, in your emotions, in your physiological sensations. And what happens when you notice these changes is your mind encodes them into your experience. And when that happens, your moment-by-moment experiences become richer and fuller. You're in the present. You cannot really experience awe when your mind is like kind of wandering to the past or the future. When you're experiencing awe, you're very focused on what is happening in the now. If you would like to try the awe narrative practice or other practices to help you feel more connected to the world around you, visit our Greater Good in Action website at ggia.berkeley.edu. Tell us how it went by emailing us at greater at berkeley.edu or using the hashtag happinesspod. I'm Dacker Keltner. Thanks for joining me on the Science of Happiness. Our podcast is a co-production of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and PRX. Our producer is Shuka Kalantari, production assistance from Jenny Cataldo and Ben Manila of BMP Audio. Our associate producer is Annie Berman, Our executive producer is Jane Park. Our editor-in-chief is Jason Marsh. Special thanks goes to UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism.